What kind of response have you gotten in Little Rock and around your beloved state of Arkansas? Uh, Julia pointed out most people are still unaware that this is the law because it was it was passed through without any fanfare, without any uh, real news coverage. And so most people, when I tell them or they, they ask me about it, and uh, I explain it to them, they just kind of look at me blankly and they say, well, what, what does that have to do with Arkansas? And it has nothing to do with Arkansas. It has everything to do with uh, culture wars. Uh, that are being waged in this country, particularly by the uh, Republican legislatures, uh, particularly ours. With us, Alan Leverett, publisher of the Arkansas Times and heirloom tomato farmer, Brian House, ACLU senior staff attorney, and Julia Bacha, director of the film Boycott. Uh, she also uh, made the film Naila uh, and the Uprising, which just premiered um, at the Fisahara Film Festival uh, at the Algerian refugee camps of the Sahrawis. That does it for our show. Happy belated birthday to Robbie Karen. I'm Amy Goodman. Stay safe. Listening to KBOO Portland 90.7 FM. Hey, Michael here. I'm with the Tin Can Phone Podcast, a radio show where you can hear about the influence incarceration has straight from the source. We tell you the story from the inside out, so make sure to check us out on KBOO Community Radio every first Tuesday at 10 a.m. morning. You're listening to More Talk Radio here on your community radio station, 90.7 in Portland, 91.9 in Hood River, 104.3 in Corvallis, and via the World Wide Web, it is kboo.fm. If you're listening live, it is Monday, the 24th of October, the year 2022. I am Cecil Prescott. I am Celeste Carey, and welcome, welcome all um, on this lovely October day. Um, it's a bit crisp outside and a little cloudy, but we remain ever optimistic that it's going to be still, uh, what do you want to call it, a, a, a picture book day, postcard day, Well, yeah, a gre- greeting card day, something like that. <laughs> somehow, it's just, just kind of strange to... For those of us in the uh, uh, Pacific Northwest, it's hard to believe that you know ten days ago it was in the mid eighties, and now it's now it's not. <laughs> yeah, I remain optimistic that it's going to get up into the seventies at least. You know, I figure that's a nice compromise for folks who who don't like it hot, you know, but don't want to freeze either. Well, I, I still want some semblance of fall weather. 
Well, okay. Well, you can hope. <laughs> hope springs eternal. <laughs> hope springs eternal, unlike spring. Spring does not spring eternal. <laughs> but unlike, unlike you know, our desire for spring weather, what you know, some things are dependable and. Um, as you are well aware, we are in the midst of election season. and Yes, we are. And there's lots of things going on in various communities. And those of you who um, are voters here in Oregon um, and have probably received, uh, hopefully you've received your ballots by now. If you have not, um, I think you need to call the elections your county elections office to see where where where's my ballot so your ballot should be on hand and you should have uh, received it filled it out and you know for the first time Celeste I think in years I received my ballots and I filled it out and I turned it in so I well, you, I did it on the first was, day you've been doing really good with that yeah Last few times you've been trying to get them in a little early. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I still, I still um, have questions about some issues, and so I was talking with one of my friends who's a former cable volunteer, who um, um, brought up an interesting question, and that had to do with the idea and the opportunity of uh, immigrant voting in a country. And because my my friend is of uh, immigrant ancestry, and I'm going to go out here on the line and say, I think that she was born in this country, but her family, uh, she might she might be first generation, I'm not sure. And you know, I don't want I don't want to speak soundly and rallying confidently on that but it, it, I found it interesting because we started discussing the whole concept of immigrant voting and and I, I, I even said well that's an interesting position for you to take you know uh, and we discussed like is it you know because you followed all the prescribed rules and you had the opportunity to be able to meet all of the documentation requirements or is this something else? And the more we talk, the more I realize, oh, this is going to be one of those fun conversations, in-depth conversations. Well, let's... Go ahead. Now, I was going to say, let's put some context in, in, in terms of the yes, conversation. Let's, okay, speaking, I think that's where I was headed, but yeah, go right ahead. We're speaking particularly about, um, in Multnomah County, um, the County Charter Review Committee. Every six year, um, a, a Citizens com com Committee... Um, 16 members um, review the um, charter. The charter is sort of like the um, constitution for, for the county. And the charter review committee reviews the charter and see what changes um, might need to be made and offer its selection. Um, this year, um, they, they offered, I believe, four county uh, charter uh, revisions um, which included um, the uh, the revision that Celeste just mentioned, but it includes um, several others, such as 
replacing gender binary pronouns with gender neutral terms. Um, in addition to the, the revision that Celeste mentioned that will go more into debt, it um, also um, amends the charter so county officials were elected using ranked voice voting, thus eliminating runoff elections. And it has a little uh, another piece revision um, talking about annual jail inspection by commissions um, with volunteers. And finally, it talks about um, establishment, establishing an ombudsman for Multnomah County. All of these, including the initiative that Celeste um, offered to us, which will be the center of our conversation this morning. Well, no, not all of these. Only the whole concept of voting in other countries, you know, because um, that, that I think, goes to a bedrock uh, conversation about who helps build a country. And so I, I wanted to, you know, even though it is a feature of our current ballot, I didn't want to necessarily put it in the ballot context. That, that was where I was a little bit different, you know, trying to go a little bit different with the with the context, uh, you know, because I don't want people to call up and say, "Yeah, I think this about that ballot measure," and we're not talking about that. Well, I think know? it's I think it's helpful because I think the ballot initiative itself put some um, framework into this discussion in that it is not as necessarily as broad as you propose. It's very specific. Um, yes, and, it is. And it talks about um, where and how these things might might take place. Um, so the, it, it says quite clearly the question is, should charter require county to extend the right to vote, including to non-citizens, to the fullest extent allowed by law? Should charter require county to extend the right to vote, including to non-citizens, to the fullest extent required, allowed by the law. Um, so, so there in itself is how it is described and it is how those in Multnomah County will vote on it, but you have a broader discussion you wish to engage in, Celeste. Oops. And I think we lost Celeste for a moment. And and yeah, we lost. Celeste, you're gonna have to call back in. I think we lost you. Okay, here I am. Oh, okay, she's there. Okay. Okay. So yes, I I do I do want to try to apply it with a broader application, but you know I'm not I'm not saying I'm not prohibiting us from discussing it in that context as well. So, you know, one of the first things I guess we should think of, and you kind of alluded to this already, Cecil, is what we mean by voting. Do we mean in local elections? Do we mean in national elections? 
um, uh, state elections? What exactly do we need by voting? And um, how does how does a municipality uh, determine um, criteria? I mean, what kind of identification? What kind of residency does one have? And then, you know, just look at how other countries and other municipalities handle it. Uh, and so I, I, one of the first things I did was look to see what other countries allow voting by people who are not yet residents. And uh, one country, for example, is New Zealand. Uh, you don't have to be a citizen to vote in a national election. You just have to be a legally permanent resident. And I found that really interesting because when you look at how um, former U.S. citizens have made places for themselves in other country um, uh, governments, been elected to government, uh, then you recognize that there are some... some um, open-minded and open opportunities uh, in, in other countries, and it gives us a good idea as to whether or not that could be a successful experiment here, you know, in the United States. So and the first question is, what level? And in fact, it wasn't until 1996 that the U.S. Congress passed a law prohibiting non-citizens from voting in federal elections such as U.S. Congress and presidential elections. Federal law did not address state or local elections. I thought that was interesting. So, and, and a matter of fact, there's only two state constitutions which specify that non-citizens may not vote in state and local elections, Arizona and North um, Dakota. And there are, um, as of January of this year, 15 municipalities across the country which allowed non-citizens to vote in local elections um, in Maryland, Vermont, New York City, and San Francisco. So as we get this conversation rolling, uh, give us a call, join in. The phone number is 503-231-8187. And just, uh, you know, discuss the merits or if you don't think there are any merits, why? Um, and then, you know, how this, how would this affect our outcomes? Uh, would it give us a more, um, I don't know, is the right word egalitarian form of government? You know, is there a better way to describe it? But uh, would it give us a better form of government? It would definitely give us a more open form of government. And uh, what do you think that would hold for uh, some of the challenges that we're facing right now politically in terms of uh, uh, racial and ethnic strife? Would we see a major shift that would cause more problems? Or would we have one of those kumbaya moments where people start realizing that we are indeed made up of many different peoples and, um, you know, a multicultural um, 
uh, government might be where we're headed for the future. Some would say, well, that would be the death knell of nationalism, you know, our national identity. Uh, but give us a call, 503-231-8187. And so, oh, I go believe ahead. We, we have our first caller, Camilo. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, the first thing that you need to do is clarify exactly what the bill, or rather the, uh, what is it, uh, not amendment, a, what is it called? A, a charter ballot review, this ballot measure. Okay. Ballot measure calls for, and it calls for a study of the question. It doesn't call for this to be implemented. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to confuse the listeners if you don't clarify that. Well, no, that's not what we're talking about, though. We're not talking specifically about the ballot measure. The ballot measure sparked a conversation between an immigrant friend of mine and I, and we started discussing whether immigrants should be voting in this country. And so, yeah, in a of course, that's basis, the question. I'm that's the subject. That but we're talking about this election and what the, the well, not uh, just this election. And this election is to review the idea, not to implement it. You should need to state that clearly. Bye. But that's not that, that's not the topic of the conversation I'm trying to tell you, Camilo. That's just that was something that Cecil brought up as an example. I, we're not necessarily discussing that specific ballot measure, so I'm trying not to limit it to that for for that very reason. Because I'm looking at the concept of immigrants voting in another country. Period. Th- does that make sense? Um, he has has left the the building. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for the call, though, and bringing that up. So I got to be aware that that could be confusing, but that's that's not the the focus. So generally, um, in in terms of of our conversation, and I think it's it's applicable to the point that um, Camilo made, was that this is a new concept for 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 many people. And it is one in which people ought to be engaged in study as the uh, Charter Revision uh, proposal states, a a study. Um, And this conversation is part of a study. Um, Should those who are not citizens be allowed to participate in the civic life of a community? And what does that mean uh, exactly in terms of a participation in terms of allowing all voices or voices that need to be heard? And how do we build a community? What are the limitations of being a non-citizen? And how can people participate in community life? Uh, specifically, uh, I think you you suggested, Celeste, in terms of um, very very local elections such as public school boards um, Mm -hmm. where um, depending on your municipality many students uh, are non-citizens and certainly although they may be students may be citizens um, their parents may not be citizens and what role in terms of um, school boards in terms of decision making should these parents have in the uh, setting up the agenda and the programs of, of, of local school districts 
Well, and that's a valid consideration. Uh, for example, if you were to take um, Portland and Multnomah County, um, East Portland is our most diverse area of the city. And we have, although the Portland Public Schools uh, is prominent, you have other school districts uh, within East Portland and then outside of uh, East Portland. And so if you've got a a large or even, you know, a noticeable um, immigrant community there of students, how do their parents engage with concerns and ideas and hopes for education for the kids? And so that's why, you know, when we were talking about what do we mean by voting at what level, I think it's important for us to consider, well, how would having other voters in our um, in our local elections affect some of the outcomes? And it's oh. definite that it would it would be an effect on our school board. And you know, just as an example, back in uh, the last part, last part of uh, 2021, uh, New York City Council passed a law that gave local voting rights to non-USA uh, citizens with permanent residence. Um, or uh, I think, well, I, I know at least permanent residence. And I don't think it's been enacted yet, but the fact that the local elections uh, were deemed to be a great place to have these extra voices shows that we're, we're shifting our focus on the importance of our 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 immigrant residences here. Now, this is certainly is an example in terms of the percentage of of citizens. But in, for example, mm-hmm. in Reynolds School District, uh, seventy languages are spoken. Forty four percent of the student populations are, are Hispanic, um, and uh, so it's it's a re- reality that we all face in our communities. But let's go to our caller. Uh, who has some thoughts. Good morning, Edie. Hello. When I was in school, um, I learned that the immigrants to the American colonies boycotted because they did not want taxation without representation. And right now, in Multnomah County and across the country, um, there are people who are asylum seekers, refugees, and immigrants who um, are paying taxes and are supporting the economy and not allowed to make any decisions. And I just think basic democracy is that we need informed decision-making by those who are affected by the rules, by the laws, by the candidates. Um, And so we need to have folks, if they, for example, live in Multnomah County, be able to vote on ballot measures and candidates in Multnomah County. It has nothing to do with country of origin or citizenship or dual triple citizenship. It's simply you live in the county, you are affected by the policies, and you have a responsibility to add your voice and choice to make better decisions for your neighbors, and you have a right, and if we're not gonna be hypocritical, if you're paying taxes and you're contributing into the system, as so many are, you should be able to vote. And likewise, if you're a resident of Multnomah County and you're too poor to pay taxes, 
or you're so wealthy you know how to get out of it, you should still be able to vote on ballot measures and candidates in Multnomah County. Okay. Well, and- you know, you, you're mentioning some of the very things Cecil and I, my friend and I, were talking about, uh, and that was who is helping support that local economy. What were you going to say, Cecil? No, I, I was going to ask Edie um, a, a, a question about um, how do we decide um, beyond um, those who live here um, what what's the role of citizenship then? Um, are, are there any advantages of being a citizen? And what about those who are um, incarcerated? They're for the most part not allowed to vote while they're being incarcerated. How far should we extend those who should vote? I think the duties of being a resident, moral social responsibility is you're engaged and it's the duty of the governing bodies to be our public servants and to be open and transparent and honest and giving us the information in a timely manner in appropriate languages and format for us to make informed decisions. Very, very well said. Thank you. Thank you so much, Edie. And we appreciate your call and for your thoughts on on this issue. You're listening to More Talk Radio here on your community radio station, KBOO-FM. I am Cecil, and I'm... I'm Celeste, and welcome. We're we're speaking about elections, and and specifically about who should be allowed to vote. Our numbers are 503-231-8187, and Celeste, you want to talk about um, how we're framing this discussion this morning? Yes. Um, I, I, it's, it's okay to reference the ballot measure, but we're not speaking directly in terms of the ballot measure. And I appreciate uh, 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 our earlier caller, our first caller, for making sure that we distinguish, you know, we make that, that difference. We're talking about the basic concept of uh, non-citizens voting in the United States, how that would um, affect our local politics, maybe our national politics, uh, how do people feel um, um, being being able to have that, that right to vote would either enrich the civic responsibility, the civic duty, or not. And um, your thoughts in general about sharing enfranchisement. Uh, the phone number, as Cecil mentioned, is 503-231-8187. And uh, you brought up um, the diversity of schools like um, Reynolds High School and their school district. And even inside of our Portland Public School District, I remember when I was uh, AmeriCorps and um, David Douglas was one of the schools that I, I uh, worked at. And they are also one of the most diverse schools in, in the Portland Public School System. And so you wonder, okay, if you have, if you have communities of students whose parents are not from this country, or maybe they are themselves not born in this country, but they're in this 
uh, academic in this academic um, community. What what avenues do we have for them to shape their education or to to speak up about their concerns for the education of their children? And Cecil mentioned school board election. Uh, and so that's one of the avenues where it's really important for us to consider, is it time to open up our, our opportunities for voting on a local level like that? Or do we want to hold on to our older ideas that you got to have full citizenship before you could participate in uh, the voting opportunities? Um, there's another area where I look at engagement, um, and it's a, again a local local election, and that would be like your city councils. Now, Portland has its unique version of of municipal government, uh, but even in our unique version of city government, uh, municipal government we saw that it was really important to engage folks from other countries and uh, cultures. And so we started this program some years ago uh, where we were training uh, young community leaders uh, civic engagement. It was uh, diverse and inclusive city engagement, civic engagement opportunities. And the city gave grants to various uh, organizations like um, ERCO, for example, Immigrant and uh, Refugee uh, Community Organizing is what ERCO stands for, and um, uh, Native American uh, Adult and Youth Services, NIA, and a few others. And it was important to have people able, competent, familiar, um, well-versed in civic engagement so that they could let their needs be known to all of the rest of the governing bodies in, in that area. Um, to, do, to do that, make sure that we have people who are well-qualified to, uh, to participate. And, but then if you limit their opportunities to vote while they're either becoming citizens or if they're just permanent residents, um, you miss out on half of the work that you're doing, half of the investment, because you're only allowing them to know about it but not actually do. And we we have a call, but before we go to a call, I'm, I'm sure you weren't saying that um, Native Americans are, are not citizens. Um, no, yeah. no, I wouldn't. I wasn't saying that. <laughs> the, the first. And thanks for qualifying it. I mean, that's that would be like me forgetting that Hawaii is part of the United States. So, so thank you. No, that's not what I meant. <laughs> and let's go to let's let's go to Tabasi. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. I just wanted to briefly talk about uh, unhoused populations because they do not get to vote. And, um, you know, if you live in the city of Portland in a tent, that's not the same as having an address. And if, if you don't have an address at a residence, then you then you can't vote according to Multnomah County. 
So all of these folks who are facing disproportionate law enforcement actions don't actually have a voice or representation in as far as being able to vote vote their will. Right. What what is that's a very good point you you made. Yes. Um what would you suggest in terms of making sure that the houselets are are able to vote? Well, I mean, it's obvious to me give them a space that they can call home. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, that, that's just safe, legal, accessible places to sleep. Or we could go for internment camps. I'm kind of yeah. anti-internment camp myself, being a Russian <laughs> Jewish I mean, descent. don't bring it up, yeah. But, but in terms of, you know, um, allowing them to vote, I mean, would it be possible, for example, just to to change the 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 requirement where you could, for example, put a I don't know a school as your place of residence just for the form or uh, well, I mean, obvious obviously there are places like the Joint Office for Homelessness oh. that could very easily facilitate this if it was actually in the interest of elected officials. But they're working to further disenfranchise people. And a lot of the people are unhoused people. A lot of the unhoused people are indigenous. A lot of unhoused people are immigrants that Spanish might not be their first language. Right. You know, I've seen the inside of the Hatfield Detention Center, and it's Spanish names that are carved on there that have zero representation. They're still getting picked up by ICE in our city. So when we talk about homeless refugees being called migrants or immigrants, you know, we we don't even talk about refugees as refugees anymore. Mm. So you know, I I think I think we're gonna have to address homeless voting because we're gonna see climate refugees from California when they catch on fire or from. Washington when they have mudslides. So we're going to have to figure out how to enfranchise climate refugees or we could go for internment camps, which is still on the table. Well, yeah, unfortunately. Now, now, hold on, uh, because our our engineer, Ray, just sent me a note that the voters pamphlet specifically say you don't need a home to vote. Ray, you want to say Correct. something? I was going to say that to that. Yes, Ray, please do. Well, I, I received a letter saying that I could not vote because of my address. So, uh, you know, that's... Yeah. Okay, and when that's they sent you personal. that letter, how, when they sent you that letter, what did they send you that letter? Because that's ironic that they would send you a letter to tell you you can't vote. Because you don't have an address, but they're sending you a letter. And I think, okay, who dropped the ball on that, you know? Well, you're allowed to receive mail at addresses that you don't reside at. But that's, you that's have to what have, I'm saying. You don't have, you have to, to have, have a residence. You have to have a residence to be able to vote. No, that's not true according to the Secretary of okay. State, the Oregon Ray, Secretary Ray's gonna of tell, State. Ray's going to tell us. Go ahead, Ray. Okay, there yeah. we go. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to read what uh, is in the voters' uh, uh, Google here. When uh, uh, 
Oregon voters do not need to provide an address to register. People without a fixed address can list their residential address as, quote, any definable location in the county that describes their physical location. That could include a motor home, an RV, a park, or a shelter. For their mailing address, well, then for their mailing address, they have the option to list the address of their county clerk's office while registering yeah. and pick up their ballot in person. I'm giving you lived experience. So I love the letter of the law in a lot of a lot of instances. The letter of the law is based on the best intentions of the people who wrote those laws. But at the end of the day, we have laws that are poorly enforced by people who are of bad moral quality. So Well, have, I do understand that, but I just don't want to give people the idea that the law prohibits this. Yes, de facto law versus de jure, you're absolutely right. It's the way it's implemented. But it is not on the books that homeless people can't vote. So, you know, that well, is my, that's, more strength. that's my lived experience. So we can talk about that. what's written, but I'm telling you what's lived. Okay, but I, I what I want to say is I don't want to discourage people from trying because your lived experience has been yours. They may be fortunate enough to be able to vote. So I don't want them to think it's against the law for them to vote. That's what I'm saying. I'm not denying just, them this experience at all. I'm just saying that the most vulnerable people have their votes. I personally have my votes suppressed last okay. election. And as a result of that, I did not apply for this election because I knew that the county would suppress me. They already have. Okay. Well, thank you for, for sharing your, your experience and, and allowing us to continue this conversation on what does it mean to um, be a, a person who participates in, in the civic life of our society. You're listening to More Talk Radio on your community radio station, KBOO, with Celeste and Cecil. We're speaking about voting. Yes, it is that time of the year. Um, election Day is, what, in what, two two weeks from tomorrow or thereabout? And, Roughly, yeah. And people are voting, and if you're eligible to vote. And so that's our, our question. Who should be eligible to vote, and how wide should we cast the net to allow people who are in a region to participate in the uh, our civil religion of voting? Our of, I like the way you said that. Well, yeah, it, it you know. It would almost be a religion if we had the day off, but that's another question. Why isn't Election Day a, a day off? That would encourage people to vote. If people were, if that was a paid holiday, then people wouldn't have to... to we wouldn't have to miss work and lose money to participate and to uh, fulfill their civic, their civic duty. You're absolutely right. Uh, I think it's because we're just kind of a greedy, capitalistic country, but that's really simplistic answer, so I don't know. <laughs> 503-231-8187. And, so, you, go okay. ahead. And so we're, we're talking about voting. Uh, a few of our callers have shared their experience about who should be allowed to vote, who isn't allowed to vote, the challenges that non non-citizens uh, experienced by not being able to participate in our, our 
civil society for participating in voting from things such as school board to to local judges to um, to city government and whether or not we make make it possible easy enough for those who are technically allowed to vote to vote what are the barriers that we need to to overcome uh, and our last caller um, shared their experience of the barriers they faced even though they were eligible to vote so the possibility uh, is that one barrier is um, citizenship not residency mm-hmm. but citizenship so should those who are resident and and wherever you lay your head in a in 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 a district that means you are a resident should they yeah. all be allowed to vote and you know what about i mentioned earlier about those who are incarcerated certainly they you know are are part of the residents of a community yeah so you know and and i know that there's there's ideology and thoughts out there about well you owe a debt to society before you can regain all your privileges but we also know that in prisons people are mistreated and kept in inhumane and uh, uh, harmful situations. And so to say that you should lose your very humanity just because you're incarcerated doesn't hold water. That's not a valid argument. Oh, um, and, and we certainly wouldn't want to argue that our <laughs> current <laughs> prison system is just or equitable. <laughs> or... <laughs> I know. Fair, even you know, we can't even we can't really say that. Uh, but you, the fact is, is that there I think are a couple of uh, factors or details that uh, voting should uh, rest on, and one of those is the fact that you're contributing to your local community economically, uh, and a lot of incarcerated people do contribute to their uh, local economy. Uh, sometimes they're making products and they're uh, contracted out uh, by the prison, especially if it's a private uh, private prison. Uh, and they also maybe press license plates, make clothes, uh, serve as phone center operators. So that's contributing. And, uh, and, and there's a redemptive element to it as well. So Yes, we, we should make sure we include, when we talk about voting, not just people who are uh, of different nationalities, but the fact that the people who live here are contributing. What were you going to say, people? No, I was going to say that some states, um, not, not Oregon, um, do not allow those who were formerly incarcerated uh, to, to vote, even after yeah. they so-called pay their debt to society. But let's hear some of your thoughts. 503-231-8187. How broad a net should we uh, should we have for those who can participate? And we also make touch in terms of age. Some 
some elections allow those who as young as 16 to to vote. You may register to vote um, before you are technically 18, and all our listeners, many of them, can remember when the uh, time when you had to be 21 years um, to vote. So is the age also something that we should uh, think about in terms of who can vote? I think that's an interesting question. Why not? 503-231-8187. So um, to, to go back and, and explore some of the points that our last caller made about prohibition, for people who are homeless, I know there was a website. I think I think you have that link. Secretary of State. Cecil. Yes. Yeah, and um, you know, just to reiterate, um, you do not have to have what is considered a traditional brick and mortar place to uh, call your your address, your residence to vote. Uh, and uh, again, it could be a shelter. It could be a park. It could be uh, a, a motor home that's on, um, on uh, what do they call it, when it's an unimproved or unincorporated area. All they have to do is be an identifiable location. And uh, one way to identify your location is to look for telephone and utility poles. They have numbers on them. If that's where you're located, you're close to that, that could be... Um, uh, a possible address and if you have concerns about voting you can also uh, register to vote while maintaining your privacy then you have to get an exemption form for that and I know if you're struggling with basic life you know amenities that might be a little bit difficult to get to but right now, the library, all Multnomah County libraries allow you to print things for free. And you can go to the website of the Secretary of State, the Oregon Secretary of State, uh, which is uh, sos.oregon.gov, and um, find out how to get that application to exempt resident address from disclosure so that you can vote if you're worried about safety. Thank you so much for that information. Let's go to Robbie. Good morning, Good Robbie. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Thank you for the uh, conversation. Um, I just wanted to share. I, I kind of, uh, the one caller talking about the disenfranchised voters because the experience, I, I kind of see, and I know this is going probably against what you wanted to talk, but I kind of see the current dem- democracy as a tool of oppression and part of the reason why, um, you know, I came out to Oregon from Arizona, which Arizona had really, really bad voting uh, <laughs> laws. It was, I, I actually worked with the Democratic Party when I was 10 and 12 years old and kind of saw the Arizona Democrats and the whole political system uh, as a tool of control. I saw it kind of um, making people fall into line and um, uh, not really actually able to do much outside of what the Democrats allowed or the political tools because of the way that we vote. 
And so that's why I kind of wanted to bring this up is I find that, um, you know, and I don't want to discourage people to vote. I just want to, you know, I want us to always be doing more uh, to try to do it. And so, yeah, Bernie Sanders was one of the only politicians to say that prisoners should absolutely be allowed to vote because that is a very slippery slope. Um, but uh, this idea that, you know, we have voting power is just kind of silly. I think it makes us less active in our communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, you know, it's like that's the reason why I point out, like, okay, first of all, there's the Electoral College, which I learned about, you know, when Al Gore and George Bush. And it's like it seems like every four years, like, there's like this reawakening of like, oh, the Electoral College. And it's so, you know, it's like I think we should be really looking at this this tool we're told is democracy because I don't really look at it as being democratic. I mean, I think Bernie Sanders was, uh, should have been the nominee, but the Democrats say that the primary election isn't an actual election and they can do whatever they want. So there's a lot of cognitive dissonance in our ability to think that we have this choice, which, yeah, sure, you know, we can get together and, you know, put some local initiative and, and maybe get that through. But for things that will actually disrupt the status quo, you'll find that it, you know, what I found in Arizona, um, it's almost impossible uh, because of the system that they have set up. And with that, there's the way that uh, I was going to bring up just one last point. I know I'm probably kind of going. Well, I want to ask you, I'm going to ask you a question, um, but I'll let you finish your your last point and then I'll ask a question. I, I would just like to bring up that, you know, when I came to Oregon that I definitely saw a, a much better voting system. However, it didn't take long for me to find the flaws in it right away. Um, after a couple voting years, they, they send out the voters pamphlet. And here's the thing, these voter pamphlets, people have to pay money. So there was one particular candidate uh who was trying to go for this thing and the, the the problem with the voters pamphlet is you have to pay money to get your thing in there but it doesn't tell like so there'll be city commissioners or all sorts of different positions people are running for but it doesn't explain the position that they're that they do so it's like yeah you can spend a thousand dollars and and run and, and get your 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 thing in the voters pamphlet and people basically put their resume on there but the position that they're running for isn't displayed about what it is that they have to do. Mm. And so there's, there's certain situations that I have uh, with, there's problems that I have with that. But lastly, I just wanted to bring up, I think um, until we have, you know, ranked voting, which is a definite step in, well, in what I would well, I, I, I want to cut you off right there because we want to respond to the relevant parts of the conversation and ranked voting is not relevant to this topic today. And you brought up some good points that Cecil wanted to respond to. Um, um, so, yeah, so, so, so thank you for raising these issues. Um, I, I guess one thing that you said at the, be- at the beginning of, of your remarks um, which sparked a question for me is what do we mean by democracy? It seems as if you have, have made it very clear that our, you know, we bow before the altar of voting. But democracy is... I suspect is more than, you know, every two or four years, um, going someplace and marking a a ballot, which may not be as as you have outlined democratic. So, what do you define as democracy, and how can we have if it's something that is something we want, how can we have more of it? 
Well, I, I don't think I don't think a republic is true democracy. So I don't. Uh, another reason why I don't think that we are in a democracy, true democracy, would be something along the lines of consensus-based uh, democracy, which is also kind of uh, problematic on a large scale, uh, which groups run into. But I, I think if I could bring up an idea into people's minds, I, I, I think I figured out how to take away uh, money out of politics, and it's a very crazy absurd concept it's not going to happen but i just like putting the thought in people's heads the way that you get money out of politics is we we take the name and the face off the ballot basically when you vote you should be voting for your ideals how you think it should be going what's going you know and then we put the person who's going to be doing that into office uh and you if if you do that (laughs) you know imagine taking kind of like a you know a different type of a test, you know, a political ideology test, you know, for, for how you think it should be ran. And then they link up the person who's closest to you in those ideals. And then they're going to be doing that because what happens now is we have political campaign, you know, political campaigning. So there's like people who have to get voted in every two or a couple of years. So they should be working and they're going out and campaigning and they're wasting money and they're asking money for you. They're asking money from me. They're taking money from giant corporations that is not democratic at all. So, so I don't think so, that so there we, is any democracy considering we allow, we even we even know how much money plays a role in our democracy. I think that alone should speak volumes to the fact that we don't have democracy. We just, it's just this kind of this, it's like a little show, smoke and mirrors to make us all feel safe and in control of something when in reality, I don't see any of so, that. So let me, let me ask in terms of what you just proposed, in terms of voting for ideas, um, that sounds as if um, be more of a parliamentary type of election that we see in, in other nations. But you also say then they will identify who will enact um, your idea if it's voted on. Who are they? Well, this is this is a part of all this kind of, uh, you know, I guess abstract concept for right now. But currently we have a situation where we vote for somebody who says stuff on the the state, you know, they get up on TV or they'll put out ads and they'll say one thing, Oh, I'm going to make jobs. Oh, I'm going to take care of this and all that. And then, you know, they get in there and do whatever they want. Uh, and so I think uh, the biggest thing is we're looking at this political, this political thing is kind of like a, uh, it's like high, it's like a high school. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I can go way deep into it. I have a specific story with this one candidate that I feel so bad that he lost because he uh, worked at PSU and he like went out there and campaigned for himself. And I forget what election this was, 2016 maybe. And basically he lost to the fight. He, he lost to uh, the candidate that was running against him, uh, which was uh, he, he had a prior experience and banking and he was all associated in banking and so that was his little his little uh ad spot in the 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 handout the handbook for voting the pamphlet voters pamphlet and then the other one this guy had all sorts of science degrees at PSU and the position that they were running for 
I'm just an idiot because I, I don't pay too much attention because I just get so mad. But basically, the position that they were running for wasn't described, uh, and it was just these two backgrounds that I had to go off of. And so eventually, it came to terms. Uh, I came to uh, it came to light, I should say, that um, I think it was the Mercury. They did a story on that exact race, and they described that the position that he was running for was for the safety of like overlooking all the contracts going forward for the city's bridges and infrastructure to make sure that they're earthquake proof and this guy was from coming from the psu and had degrees in science but the finance major who had a degree you know who had all sorts of uh a history in the banking sector he won and so i feel like if we had had that in the voters pamphlet right above this idea of like you know these are the two candidates this is what they this is what their job is this is what their job is going to do that they're going to have to apply for the problem is is people have to pay money and they only get like a quarter of a page or a half a page of ad and they're going to want to tell you everything about them they're not going to want to have to go into the description of the job that they're running for so i with that being said the reason i brought that up is because i think this whole idea of democracy is kind of been skewed because it's all turned into this this clout glam oh you know everybody just wants the friendly face if you look at american politics ronald reagan the movie actor uh you know what we have that's what that's what politics is now okay <laughs> so well, how do you change that okay what what face now that good points but they're not germane to our topic but we do thank you for bringing up you know concerns that we need to go deeper and um our outreach and explaining what the qualifications of the position are as opposed to what qualifications people are sharing with us uh, thanks for your call. And you are listening to More Talk Radio here on KBOO. This is sort of our election conversation. Um, we are a couple of weeks before Election Day, and like the last caller suggested, I think we place so much emphasis on voting that we define what happens um, around election season as as creating or building our society, call it a democracy or call it a republic. But I think governing is more than what we do on election day. It is more yeah. than paying for political ads or 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 having good slogans. It is more than uh getting 50% of the vote plus one and declaring victory. It requires something more and requires something of, of all of us. We began our conversation this morning by talking about who should participate in this experience, experiment of democracy. Should it be limited to those who are citizens or should it include all those who are residents? And what does it mean to be a resident? Do you have to have a brick-and-mortar place to reside, to vote? Do you have to be a certain age to participate in, in our democratic experience? It's not so easy, but it's something we must wrestle with. And uh, it gives us a good excuse to talk to our neighbors, get to know them a little bit better, and discuss maybe some new strategy. And like I said, I know this sounds a little simplistic, but sometimes starting a conversation 
is the small thing that brings people together and strengthens communities. It definitely forms them, but it helps strengthen communities as well. Um, and speaking of strengthening community, we want to thank everybody for strengthening the KBU community. When you support us financially, or if you come down and volunteer, you give voice to many people who don't have a voice. You carry stories of these people in your community out further, and you help share ideas and build um, stronger lines of communication. So we want to thank you all and appreciate you for supporting KBOO and keeping us strong. And those of you who are eligible to vote, um, consider voting and uh, picking up your voter um, ballot and voting. Yes. And if you have any questions, like we told you earlier about uh, voting, voting safety, do check out the Sec Oregon Secretary of State website, which is sos.oregon.gov. And uh, you and if, can get more information. Go ahead, Cecil. No, I'm going to say, and it depends on where you are located when you're hearing this. So what, whatever municipality, whatever state, um, there are similar um, election authorities. So whether you are in Guam or whether you are in Berlin or whether you are in, 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 in a town in Oregon, John's Day, uh, there are um, people who are able to help and assist you. Hey, thank you so much for being a part of this community. Um, thank you, Celeste. And thank you, well, thank Ray. Thank you, Cecil. And thank you, Ray. And we'll hear you next week. KBU is holding its monthly Board of Directors meeting live at KBU Studios on Monday, October 24th, starting at 6 p.m. The public is invited to attend due to COVID concerns.